0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For those who perhaps weren't here last week, we are in the midst, in the midst of a series. We're calling it War of the World Views. We started, I think, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and we started looking at this whole concept of a worldview. A worldview is the way that you look at life. It's the way you understand or interpret and try and understand the things that happen to you and to those around about you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your body will be full of darkness. And I think that's got something to do with worldview. The way that we see things will determine the way that we live and how we act. So we started off by that, looking at that, we then went on and had a look quickly, and if, I hope you don't mind me just running very briefly over some of this for those who may be here for the first time, but we then looked at the fact that everyone's got a worldview, even though most people probably couldn't articulate what one is, or even what it is that they believe, but most people, in fact, all people have a worldview, they believe something about the big questions of life, in other words, how we got here, who we are, how we're to live here, what's the purpose of it all, and where are we going when it's all over? Those five questions are significant questions that every worldview needs to address. And they're questions that most people have got some sort of answer to that, but most people probably haven't thought about the answers to those things. They've sort of just absorbed the answers to those questions by virtue of the culture they live in, the family they grew up in, the university they went to, the teachers they had, etc., etc., etc. And I sort of think that's a very bad way to go about having a worldview, to be honest. Because at the end of the day, our worldview needs to not be based on other people's opinions, but it needs to be based on truth. We need to know, if if there's a God, we need to know that there's a God. If there's a heaven and there's a hell, we need to know that fact. If there's anything we can do about going to one rather than the other, we need to know what that's about. And so I would encourage every person on this planet to be seeking after truth and developing a worldview that is holistic, that matches reality, that is not just based on your preferences or on on other people's preferences. Does that make sense? So from there, we went on and we started to have a bit of a look at some of these major questions. And we looked at the origins. We talked about the fact that there really is only two options. It's either God or not God. And if you say it's not God, well, you've got to come up with a a mechanism by which life and the universe started. And you've got to come up with something that does not involve anything supernatural whatsoever. And that's a very, very hard thing to do. It might be hard to believe that in the beginning, God. It's even harder to believe in the beginning, nothing. Okay, if you just got naturalistic processes, you've got nothing else. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, but you believe in God, so at least you've got something beyond the natural to go to. Something that is outside of our natural laws. Something that is in another dimension. Something spiritual. Okay, and that is a totally rational position, by the way. I'm not just talking about stepping out into the darkness and hoping for the best. We can actually look at some of those things. We can look at our world and say, is there evidence that suggests that this world may indeed, indeed be created? Or is there more evidence that suggests that we're actually here by accident? And so I would encourage you, I haven't, didn't specifically talk on that subject at length, but I would encourage you to go on a search. If you don't believe in God, or if you're not really sure about God, if you're a Christian but you're not totally sold out yet because you're not, you, know, you have your good days and your bad days, go on a search for yourself. There is so much good information out there today that can help build your faith and strength and your understanding of why we should and, and can believe that God exists and that he's the responsible for all that we see. We went on and had a look from there at the whole question of identity. In other words, who we are very much is related to where we came from. If, and it's a massive if, in fact, I don't even think it, it's an if, but you know, assuming that God wasn't involved at the start and that somehow this universe blew into existence out of nothing, you've then got to come up with a mechanism for life. But let's just say, if, again, a massive if that doesn't really even exist, by the way, but then you've got to get this process, and that process is referred to as evolution by many. It's a process whereby through purely me- natural mechanistic processes, ultimately just a whole bunch of chemicals come together and somehow form a living thing. And that living thing over squillions of years eventually becomes more and more complex. Again, this is all of this is pure speculation and totally against the observable yeah. laws of science. So assume you get to that point, what have you got? You've got you and me standing here today or sitting here today. And what are we really? We are totally natural beings. We are only the product of the chemicals that our body is made up of. And the electrical impulses that are flying around. We are no, there's nothing else to us. That's all we are. And if that's all we are, well, then we need to be open to the possibility. And many believe this: that we are to- that all our choices, all our thought patterns, everything about us is totally determined by our chemical makeup and by the environment in which we find ourselves in. There is no such thing as free will. The Bible has a very different picture. It says that God created us in the beginning; that God, as an act of love, intentionally set about creating mankind, and He created us not just as physical beings, but as spiritual beings. He breathed His life, His breath, His spirit into our bodies. And our bodies came to life. And our bodies, because we have a spirit, are more than just the sum total of our connections and our chemical reactions and our environment and everything else. But we have something called accountability. We have a a, a choice in this life. We have a free will. We are able to make decisions. We went on and had a look at how that then, because it's important not just to have philosophy and, and ideas, but it's important to see how these things, when the rubber hits the road, how do they outwork themselves? And I gave a bit of an illustration about parenting and how if you know, we are just um, the product of, our, um, of, of the chemicals and, and the reactions going on inside of us and perhaps a little bit of environment thrown in, that at the end of the day, what hope do we have as parents? Yeah. Really, what hope do we have? When, when our little kid's acting up and he goes to the doctor and the doctor pronounces some sort of disorder over his or her life, well then we are victims straight away to that condition. That situation, I mean, why why put into practice good parenting? Because at the end of the day, it's almost like doomed to failure. What can we do? And many people live their lives as victims to the pronouncements of doctors over their kids' lives as parents. But if, on the other hand, our child is 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 a person created in the image of God, they have choices in this life. And we as parents are able to teach them and train them and work with them because, look, there is a reality in terms of chemical reactions and, you know, cordial and chocolate, and lack of sleep, and all of that sort of stuff. But as parents, we can, we can put in place some good parenting principles, and we can trust that all things being equal, God is going to help us to raise our children up in the way that they should go. So this is a brief rundown of where we got to last. So really, our, our, our worldview needs to, will be seen in the way that we live, in a daily basis. In fact the prevailing worldview in our society will be reflected in the laws and the values, the attitudes of our society as well, okay? And so we, we have moved, unfortunately, I believe, from a Christian worldview, essentially, that, that was over this nation, and we've been, we've been sort of had this conglomeration of atheism and, and multiculturalism and other sort of stuff foisted upon us. And our, our nation, I believe, is reeling under the impact of that, and we'll have a little bit more of a look at that. But again, our worldview then. So this whole idea of identity, this whole idea of who we are, how does it impact us? Looked at one example of parenting. But what about your voting? When you vote, how does your worldview impact your voting? It should absolutely impact your voting. For many of us as Christians, it probably doesn't. It's like, well, my dad voted Labor, I'll vote Labor, my kids will vote Labor. That's the way it's always going to be. Or liberal or whatever else. But what about the issues? There's some, what about, who's read the paper this week? What's one of the issues in that, in, the, as Christians, we should be very aware of? Euthanasia. euthanasia. As Christians, what is your take on euthanasia? Is it a biblical understanding of euthanasia? Or is it a pragmatic understanding of euthanasia that you picked up at uni or you've picked up through your friends chatting at work or whatever? Because again, as Christians, we need to be directed in terms of our choices and decisions in life by the Bible. Because as Christians, we're saying we have a biblical worldview. It starts with God, it ends with God, and there's a whole bunch of instruction in the middle that tells us how to live in this life. Again, outside of God, humanity has no value whatsoever. In real terms, no value. With God... Humanity has infinite value, as demonstrated by the death of Jesus Christ. Therefore, what's our view on anything that would rob this world of life? Be it euthanasia, be it abortion, etc. Do we have an opinion about that? What's it based on? What about work? Christian worldview about work. The Bible says if you don't eat, so you don't work, you don't eat. What about those that can't work? Same principle. You might be unemployed, but it doesn't mean you don't work. It means that you, you, you volunteer, you help where you can, earn your way. What about when it comes to a welfare system in our nation? Do we just hand out things to people and rob them of dignity, rob them of the opportunity to work, and create an entitlement mentality? Because that's what the prevailing world of view of this age is all about. And it's creating generation upon generation of people who are helpless and hopeless. You go back to the Bible, we see, yes, the reality is there are going to be poor people amongst us. But we see that those of us who have a job, it's not our responsibility to just hand out money really nilly to them, irrespective of what they do. It's about living in such a way that inspires, that gives them opportunity to earn their way. We see you, the whole book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is, is an awesome picture of this. You know, Boaz is he's got these fields, and they had this principle called gleaning in the Old Testament. It's like when you harvest, don't harvest everything. Yeah. Harvest about ninety percent and just leave some there. The stuff that falls out, the stuff is too hard. You to leave it for the poor. They can come through after and they can make a living after you've had your fair share. That's the principle, and, and I believe that we as a nation are poorer for the fact that our principle is not operating in our country. Yeah. So that's. That's worldview. That's that's sorry. That's identity. Okay, these things that come, stem out of our understanding of who people are, how we value them, what they're here for, etc. What's their makeup? The next thing that sort of flows naturally out of that is the whole area of morality. Morality. Morality is simply about what is right and what is wrong, and even is there such a thing? as right and wrong because there are many, many people today indeed the prevailing world view today essentially would challenge that argument that there is an absolute standard of right and wrong think about it this way you're walking down the street you see a person on the side of the road maybe they're a little bit older maybe they're struggling under the weight of the, the grocery they've just got from the shop you've got three options you can do, the first thing you can do, I guess, is you can ignore them and keep walking. Say, none of my business. That's a very valid option. The second thing you could do, an option hopefully that many Christians would think about, would be, that person looks like they're struggling. It's a busy road. I'm going to help them across the road with their groceries and maybe a little bit further if they need it. That's the second option. The third option would be to push them in front of a truck and take their groceries. true. Three options. All equally valid options, you'd agree? No? They're not? Ah. Better go and get some more notes. (laughs) Outside of God, if we are just here by random processes and charts and lots of time. And there is no such thing as God. There is no such thing as an external, absolute standard for the way that we should live. If it is, if it is purely about survival of the fittest, yeah. surely the person that wins the tussle to get the person in front of the truck is the fittest yeah. and will survive. And therefore, we'll go on to produce many offspring and dominate and all that sort of... That, that's really what, outside of God, that's, that's what you're left with, seriously. I know that we don't live at that cutting edge for the most part. But again, I believe that's more about the fact that we're living on the coattails of a Christian heritage because in much of the world that does play, and th- people think nothing about killing people they don't agree with or people that have hurt them. You know, many cultures, t- it, it, it happens where, where you do something to one, co- uh, one tribe and payback, retribution. You don't forgive and forget, you kill someone as a, as a consequence. And then that tribe, they don't forgive and forget, they go and they kill back. This is, this is just some of the worldviews that are out there. But it comes back to the ultimate issues. Who, who, where do we get our morals from? Again, two options. We can get our morals from man. And again, the prevailing worldview today in our society is that man, humankind, humanity, people are the measure of all things. We are good and we are getting better. We are on the way up. Remember, we're evolving. So we're evolving in all manner of ways. We're evolving Morally as well as intellectually and so on and so forth. And so man is the measure of all things. What we say goes. Yeah? That's, that's all you've got, really. The alternative of that is that God created us and that what he says goes. How does man decide what is right and wrong in a humanistic system? Well, really it comes down to preference. The preference of the person who is most influential or the group that is most influential. In some places in the world, it might be a dictator who who dominates with an iron fist. And ultimately, his preference, his moral standard, his values become the order of the day. If his moral system includes genocide, that's what happens. If it includes taking whatever you like at the expense of the poorer people, that's what happens. No arguments entered into. And fortunately, we don't live in a place like that today. We live in Australia, which is a free country for the most part, but we're not as free as we think. Because if it's not a dictator, often it's other people of influence that are setting the pace morally in our our country. And it could be, for example, those that are artists, or those that are educators, or those that are politicians that are setting the pace at which we live, the moral climate, the moral environment of our country. Like I said, who's going to make the decisions? based on whether we accept euthanasia, as we've accepted so many other things in this state. Australia is at the cutting edge, I believe it's going to be be a forerunner in terms of what God wants to do in our country, because it's been a forerunner for so many other things. But why should we sit back and leave it to some politicians to make a decision that is going to affect and impact the lives of people? Again, if we are just here as a product of of nature, and life has no meaning, well, hey, look, put them out of their pain. Who cares? Who cares? The sooner the better, really, for those that are in pain. That's the way they view it. But if, on the other hand, they hear by God's plan and purpose and there's an eternal destiny for those people and you've got one of two choices to where you end up, suddenly that decision becomes a little bit more important and we as Christians need to have a voice about that. Make sense? Okay, so basically, morality comes down to preferences. Our, our media today, our entertainment industry is driven... By people with preferences. That's why the church needs to stand up and be counted when it comes to the arts. That's why the church needs to stand up and be counted when it comes to business. Because if the church is not involved in business and all the guys with all the money are evil or are amoral or are humanistic or hedonistic or whatever else they might be, the money goes into supporting those things and those values. And we end up just copying it. And we are copying it. We're copying a whole bunch. You can't turn on TV today without an agenda being forced down your throat and down your kids' throat. It's about sex before you get married. It's about homosexuality. It's about a whole bunch of stuff that has just been normalized, stuff that wasn't normal in our society, in a Christian culture years ago. But it's, becoming, it's just being pumped and pumped and pumped at us because these are the values of those that are shaping our society at the moment. So it's time for the church to stand up and, and not just take it, and not just think, what's going on? We need to know what's going on. And then we need to take it to people and challenge them about what they believe and where it's leading us, ultimately. Yes. I mentioned a few examples that talked about sexuality. Let's look at that. Because again, you know, Christianity's got a bad rap when it comes to the whole issue of sexuality, you know the, the the church. You know, people wonder how the church actually grows and procreates because Christians don't have sex, do they? I mean, they don't even know what it is. That's the perception out there. The reality is that Christian marriages have the most satis- satisfying sex lives because it's in the context of a protected and a and a, and a safe environment. It's not from here to there from everywhere else. That's that's what the statistics show. But let's just go back to this whole idea. You know. What, 40, 50 years ago, the sexual revolution. Okay, we, we moved out of a Christian worldview, which, which by and large was supportive of marriage. It was supportive of family life. And it wasn't perfect, but there were, it was supportive of the basic principles that God ordained with regards to relationships. And man, in his wisdom, the measure of all things, fount of all knowledge, said, that is outdated. That is irrelevant. It's our mandate to free our society of the the oppressive bondage that the church, and Christians in particular, have put upon us. We need to break free of that because we're growing past that now. We are evolving and we are morally now superior to that, that inferior stuff that was written thousands of years ago. So let's put aside God's word and let's embrace our own ideals. What's the result of that? Is there more peace and harmony, fulfilment in our society as a result? Are people more sexually gratified today? Really? Pornography on the internet is just out of control. It's the, it's, the, it's the most targeted thing on the internet. And there's plenty of good stuff on the internet, and yet pornography is up there as number one, Massive. Streets ahead of anything else that people go there for, be it business or knowledge or information on you know, where to find this or that. Pornography. As a result of our freedom. Slavery today, at greater levels than ever before in history, the majority of slavery today is about sex slavery. i said before, the, the entertainment industry just permeates and oozes sexuality. Our kids are being sexualized before our very eyes. You know, what they're wearing. The way, they're just being drawn into this thing and they're growing up before their age. Homosexuality, prostitution, even pedophilia is getting to the point where these things are becoming normalised in our thinking. They're not aberrations anymore. They're normal for most people because of what, the way the things are pushed on TV at us all the time. Something like 46 million abortions are performed a year across the world 46 million that is twice the population of Australia nearly every year aborted because of free love because of people who couldn't be bothered taking responsibility for their own actions you know and someone was oh well abortion you know like you know what about the what about the the situation where there's rape or incest or you know surely there's got to be room yeah Okay, let's just say that those things are legitimate causes for abortion or the health of the mother. 5% of abortions are accounted for by those things. The rest is just purely a lifestyle choice. I couldn't be bothered. We've had enough kids. I don't want kids just yet, etc., etc., etc. Sexually transmitted diseases are out of control. Think about the money that is being poured into that right now. Think about the deaths and the carnage and the fear that people live under. Having to go to doctors regularly for their checkups. I hope I'm all right this time. It's like playing Russian roulette. This is the fruit. This is the result of us living according to our own wisdom. Homosexuality. I hate the fact the church is known as people that hate gays. I hate that. I hate homosexuality too, though. Again, what's their worldview? What do we understand? Because homosexuals today are being fed the lie that they are products of their chemistry and they cannot help what they do. I don't know about you, but if you take that line, you take that thing to its logical conclusion, what about the person who is alcoholic? What about the person who steals and doesn't need to? What about the person who likes little children in a sexual way? If we go down that line, where do we stop? Where do we stop? If we come back to a biblical worldview, because man said, you know, the prevailing worldview that says that man is on the way up, he's getting better. The biblical worldview says exactly the opposite. It says that no, man is on the way down. Man has fallen from his high position. He is still great. He is still loved. He is still the apple of God's eye, but he has fallen. All the intentions of his heart, all the inclinations of his heart are evil. From childhood, that was God's summation after the, after the great flood. But still he persists with us because he loves us. But nonetheless, he hasn't got the wool pulled out. He knows what we're like. The heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible tells us. And so we need to be open to the possibility. And again, folks, if you're a Christian or not Christian, let's just look at the real world around about us. And say, what is the natural tendency of our life? Is it generosity and kindness and love and forgiveness? Or is it self-centeredness and stinginess and revenge and these sort of which ones do you have to knock out of little kids? Knock out doesn't sound too good, but for anyone that's listening around the world. I don't mean that literally, but you know what I'm saying? We, we, have a, we have an inclination, a tendency to go in a certain direction and we need to be taught the right way to go if there is a right way to go. Yeah. If there's not, do what you like. It doesn't matter as long as you can get away with it. Yeah. But if there is a moral standard set by a morally perfect God, a holy God, well, then we have an obligation to know what that is and an obligation then to instill it into our kids and to do our best to uphold it ourselves. Yeah. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. And that goes for any person. I've started talking about homosexuality as an issue. But again, are people just dictated to by their desires, are they a product of their hormones and their inclinations? Or are they people who have moral choices, the capacity and free will? Because what's so different? You know, I've had people talk to me in this church say, are homosexuals welcome in your church? I say, they are. We've got some here right now. People struggling with their sexuality, not, you know, confused. Because they like people in a sexual way of the same sex. But are they welcome? Absolutely. Are people who are having sex before they get married, even living together, are they welcome? Absolutely. What about people who lie or steal or slander? Absolutely. Everyone's welcome here. It's the bottom line. It's true. It's not an issue. But when a person comes to Christ, when a person recognises that they need a saviour because of where their lifestyle has taken them. Yeah, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have hit God's mark of holiness. Every one of us is in the same boat. Homosexual or not, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. But when we become a Christian, when we give our lives to God, there's an expectation that we will begin to follow him. Yeah. And so we're not going to nail people who say, first comes in, to to, do you live it, you know, et, et cetera, But... Guaranteed, if someone's a part of this church and they're calling Jesus their Lord and Saviour and they want to count for God, there's going to come a time when we're going to chat about living arrangements. Yes. Yes. There's going to come a, cha- a time when we're going to have a chat about the amount they drink or the drugs they take or the prostitutes they see or the porn they watch yes. because it's for their sake because yes. these things are hurting people. Sex is very, very good. Before sex, the earth was just good. Seriously, you read it. Genesis chapter 1. God said it's very good. But it's like a fire. Great in the fireplace. Great where it belongs. Once it gets out of control, man, it's dangerous. This world is reeling. Under the, the the weight of sexuality out of control. Yeah, God is not a party pooper. God is not embarrassed. Yeah, no. God created the thing for goodness sake. He created sexual relationships between man and woman. Yeah. It was His idea from the very, big, very beginning. Yeah, yeah. He, wasn't, he didn't put Adam and Eve, create them as male and female, and then get surprised by what took place. Yeah. <laughs> he said, first command. Be fruitful. Multiply. Go for it, guys. Enjoy. It's true. It's true. And then he unfolds some boundaries with regards to human sexuality. Not because he got embarrassed. Not because he couldn't handle what was going on. Get a room, guys, please. Seriously, our perception of God is warped. God, out of a loving father heart, recognising that sexuality being as powerful it is, as it is, has tremendous potential to bless or tremendous potential to curse. There's a whole bunch of sexual liberty in our world today. And most people I know that are indulging, I'll say all people really, who are indulging themselves in it, are getting hurt by it. They want something more. They want a relationship that counts. They, they ultimately go from one to the next, to the next, to the next, because they get hurt, because they can't trust, because of whatever, 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 whatever. But at the end of the day, most people can have what they want within the confines of marriage if they would do it God's way. It's sad that we live in a world that is so, like I said, we're so indoctrinated. We're so, things have been so normalised come back to the the homosexual issue. It's sad that people are, you know, it's sad that young guys can't have a friendship that is deep. You know, David said of Jonathan, your love is better than the love of a woman. There was a closeness, there was a connection, there was a deep relationship they had of a non-sexual nature that was more fulfilling, intimate, emotionally, rewarding etc with a man and man relationship that wasn't homosexual in nature and many young guys I believe find that connection with friends friends who've often been so polluted by the nonsense we see on TV today that they misinterpret what God intended to be good a male relationship two men strengthening one another encouraging one another doing life together in a healthy and wholesome way and it gets misinterpreted and becomes sexual take outside of that what about the predatory nature of, of much of the homosexual community the homosexual community cannot reproduce itself naturally it cannot it can only do it by one of two ways it can do it by enlisting others or it can do it by surrogacy and all the things these days that Again, becoming very normal in our world. But God never intended that. God intended a man and a woman to bring up children. You know, it says, God created man as His image, man, male and female who created them. In other words, for us to most faithfully represent God to our kids, God to our kids, we need to be mum and dad. Because God, in a very real sense, is mum and dad to us. Because man in his image was made male and female. And so two dads or two mums can't do it. And again, you know, for those that are single parents, there's a massive pressure on you guys. I know and it's not about bringing condemnation for that either. But in the context of a family, we're trusting that God can bring some of the lack into your life. If, you've got, if you're just a mum trying to bring up kids, we're trusting that there's going to be men in this church who can help father help bring some of what a dad would bring into their existence, into the experience. And likewise, when it's the man trying to bring up kids on his own. Just because God said so. God, in his wisdom, God, out of the overflow of his own nature and character, God, out of his foreknowledge and foresight, of knowing the way things will go, if he doesn't put some healthy boundaries around this thing called sexuality, seeks to protect us by putting laws in place. And we thumb our nose and say, oh God, who do you think you are? We know better than you. (laughs) And absolutely devastate ourselves. Our society is being shredded at the moment. Family life is... (sighs) Families, I mean, wives, poor wives, whose husbands are addicted to pornography on the internet, how do they feel? How can you possibly compete with some new young thing in her prime of her life and every night you go to bed and you, you sense that you're not all your husband wants, him to, wants you to be because he's been comparing you now with everything else that he's got access to from across the world. This is, God wants to protect us. Likewise, for guys that sleep around and then want to have a good sex life in marriage, you're behind the eight ball from the start because you're going to struggle often with insecurity. Am I measuring up to all those other girls? Most women are insecure by nature in this area. Just part of the way it is. If you're not, God bless you. But most people I talk to in terms of the marriages, it comes down to that. God is for us. God is for us. He is not against us. His moral code, as I said, comes out of who he is. It comes out of a passion and desire for us to not hurt ourselves and to to live the best life that we possibly can. Let's not thumb our nose at God. Let's not get in reaction to God's will and God's ways. Let's embrace what he has for us because ultimately we are going to be better for it. You know, 60, 70 years ago, World War II, some things happened in Germany that were shocking. And the amazing thing about it, or the shocking thing about it, is not that Germans did it, the Holocaust and so on and so forth, but the fact that Germans at the time were thought by everyone else to be the best. They were at the forefront of humanity. If you're talking about an evolutionary. Um, reality the German people at the time were at the front of the pile technologically in terms of the order in their society in terms of their scholarship in terms of their education at the front and yet some of the most horrific things happened because they let go of the idea the understanding that God ultimately is going to hold them accountable We can live if we want. We can, we can choose a world view. We can say, I prefer this or I prefer that. But what are we really doing in the long term? What are we doing to ourselves? What are we doing to our society? What are we doing to the generations that come? If we choose to live according to our preferences rather than according to truth. I'm going to come to a close, tone because I've got too much else to share. But. <laughs> I was going to look at destiny. you're going to look at meaning and stuff tonight as well, but we'll do that down the track. I just want to finish by reading something. The biblical worldview says there is such a thing as absolutes, and we will rise or fall on how we respond to those things. The prevailing worldview on this area of sexuality is it's my body, I can do what I like. People will rise or fall on that. I wanna I just want to just quickly read something. I found it in the paper the other day. And anyway, this is an example of the fight that we have we have got the fight of our lives on our hands at the moment. It just says Apple removes Gay Cure app from iTunes store. It talks about a group called Exodus describing itself as a global Christian ministry helping those struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction to live a life congruent with Bible teaching. In other words, if you're a homosexual you're, in, you're attracted to people the same, and you actually are feeling bad about that. We want to help you overcome. And so what they do, they've got this app that sort of sends people here and there on the internet. They can look at testimonies and that. It's just a program that, that helps people out who want to be helped out in that area. And then Apple's response was this. We removed the Exodus International app from the App Store because it violated our developer guides of being offensive to large groups of people. There are 150,000 Electronic protests, which I don't know, what's the Facebook user base now? It's certainly over half a billion, right? So we're talking less than, it's 0.03 or something of a percent of the entire. But these guys are, again, they're they're hearing a loud voice from a minority group because it's politically correct to do so. Not based on truth, but based on the, the push and the preference of a very vocal group in our society at the moment. So this app is a slap in the face for Apple's customer base and serves the platform to spread misinformation and blatant anti-gay bigotry. Again, I don't know that this Christian website was doing that. They're just saying, hey, if you want to help, we're here to help. Yeah. So it is particularly troublesome because the app focuses on exploiting the fears of desperate and vulnerable gay and lesbian youth. Now, if they're desperate and they're vulnerable... Maybe they need some help. <laughs> goes on and says, This is not a question of free speech, but of stopping a virulently anti-gay organisation from peddling false speech at the expense of ve- vulnerable, lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender youth. We are grateful that Exodus has lost at least one platform from which to disperse its dangerous message. And then the response from Exodus is this is ultimately this issue comes down to what we as a culture believe about equality and the freedom to express our beliefs. Again, it seems that all are equal, but some are more equal than others at the moment. Yeah. There is a prevailing world out there that worldview out there that is anti Christian. I don't know, you you search the internet and find you'll find anti Christian stuff all over it. We are going to be in a minority, but God has called us to live on behalf of those who actually are rejecting us and being our greatest critics at the moment. I just want to pray for us right now that we would have the wisdom and the courage and the grace to stand in the face because the majority of those people that we are, calling up, we are being called upon to help are those people that right now, be it at work, at school, in your family, etc., are probably your greatest opponents. But I'm trusting that some of the stuff we're sharing here tonight, just common sense, self-evident truth that lines up with what the Word of God says that people can look at and test for themselves and find freedom. Lord, help us, I pray. Help us as your people, for those of us here that know you. Help us to stand firm. Help us to not be intimidated. Help us to not allow the world to be pulled over our eyes. But help us, God, to get back to your Word Not in a religious, bigoted sort of way or a legalistic, unhelpful, boring, colourless sort of way, but in a life-giving, hope-bringing, faith-filled sort of way, Lord God, that will inspire people. God, in our marriages, may we seek to live up to your intentions for marriage. And God, where we've allowed the spirit of this age to permeate our thinking, where we've just become a couch potato or where we have are hooked up in sinful stuff. God, help us to break free and to live for you. The challenge to us, Lord, is to be holy because you are holy. Now, we can't do it perfectly ourselves, Lord God. That's why you died for us. But God, as much as it depends on us, help us to make choices and to choose to live in a certain direction. And when we fall down, to get up again. Because God, people are looking. And I pray that Christian marriages would not just be a viable alternative to homosexual relationships or from going from one relationship to the next or prostitution. But God, they would stand head and shoulders above the rest. They would be the only viable alternative, I pray. In Jesus' name. So help us, God. Help us to get on the front foot. Help us in love to be able to question those who are so quick to question us, to challenge those in love that that are so quick to challenge us, Lord God. God, have your way through your church. This world is dark currently, and outside of you, it will continue to get darker. But I pray, Lord God, that we can shine brightly as stars and bring many to salvation because of the way that we live, because of the truth we espouse, because of the consistency in our life and our message. And may you receive glory and honor as we do that. To the best of our ability, empowered by your Holy Spirit, motivated by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.